Hello, everyone. It's slightly something else. I'm Yatsu Crozier. I'm joined by Marty Sliver. Hey, everybody. And this time we are talking about the standout moment in games, the memorable moment, the perfect moment, the best mm -hmm. level, the one thing about a game you remember after everything else is forgotten. And what was it that uh, brought this topic to mind, Marty? I think it was uh, both of us have been, been uh, finished Psychonauts 2, mm. and I think both uh, Psychonauts 2 as well as the original, when it, when I think back on them, I'm going to think back, uh, like I enjoyed my experiences overall, but I'm going to think back to these individual moments of sort of creative awe, where yeah. you walk into a new level and you're like, holy moly, these people uh, uh, are doing something with level design and just with theme and topic that uh, very few other developers are doing. I'd say uh, there's a lot more of those moments in Psychonauts 1 than Psychonauts 2. Uh, I would agree with that, yeah. Psychonauts 1 uh, uh, had like the Milk Band level and then Velvetopia, which was sort of the, yeah. the, the, bull, the bull Matador level, and then as well as the uh, Waterloo kind of board game where it was kind of recursive, where you could find the house where the people were playing the board game you were trapped inside within the board game. I think the thing with those were was that they weren't letting the plot get in the way of the theme i think in uh, psychonauts 2 they, there was much greater emphasis on the plots and characters and establishing those characters backstories than exploring the theme of the level which is what psychonauts 1 did a lot more of as you say the milkman level is themed around paranoia the waterloo <laughs> level is very clearly themed around the napoleon thing <laughs> i would say the only like big standout moment in Psychonauts 2, like tentpole moment, is uh, the music video and the music festival. Yeah, yeah, and that was the uh, that was the moment both of us were talking about and and so I mean I guess this is going this this show is going to have spoilers, right? So when we bring oh, up a game, it's yeah. it's likely we're going to bring up a moment that, you know, might not be from the end of the game but but could spoil some enjoyment of the game. Should probably Although, have headed up with that. What, yeah. <laughs> watch out, there will be spoilers. We will try to say the name of the game before we spoil it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I think a lot of the just, a lot of the games we're gonna talk about though are are slightly older games that are kind of more in the pantheon, so Right. Well just to like yeah. uh, get the logistics out of the way, remember we will be reading out your super chats from the halfway mm -hmm. point of the podcast, so get them in whenever you want. We are not ignoring them. Uh, why not, in your super chats, bring up your personal favorite standout moment in a game that you remember above all other parts of that game? Mm -hmm. Yes. I love it. The music festival in Psychonauts 2, a lot of fun. Jack Black did yeah. some singing for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because when you first encounter uh, his character, or at least I guess the the brain of his character um you don't know it's jack black no and so you you don't really know where you're going with this level but when you finally get there and you see it's this kind of like uh you know magical mystery tour uh uh bringing a band together for for a for a woodstock-esque show uh yeah. it was it was just really neat and that was the first time i think uh you you hit the nail on the head where it didn't feel like it felt like it was exploring the theme of the level as mm. opposed to we got we have to you know advance the story forward which the story in the game i think is really good but uh sometimes to the detriment of the individual levels yeah so i think we're talking about like standout moments generally because in many ways a game with like standout moments that hit just in the right way are more memorable than games that are just all in your face creativity from start to finish yeah yeah and I think there's also plenty there's plenty of games I love where I don't think they had 
standout moments. Mm. Um, and I, I, when preparing for this episode, I'm trying to kind of unpack why that is. Yeah. I always think like a game wants to sort of peak and trough in terms of pace. Mm-hmm. You want to have like the memorable peaks and you want to have a little bit of breathing room surrounding the peaks. Because if it's like all trough, then it's just boring. But if it's all peak, then it's just overwhelming. If it's something like Asura's Wrath, or yeah, that's f- a good, a good example. Or yeah. the first Evil Within, where it's just a constant barrage, mm-hmm. then you can get uh, overwhelmed. You, it's, it's sensory overload. It's all sort of blurs together into a big white noise. Yeah, which is funny because the, the the last time the two of us were on a stream, you were you were playing uh, No More Heroes three for ah, uh, yes. for your post post ZP, and uh, that feels very much like a game that. Uh, in its like unrelenting kitchen sink approach to everything, mm. it's almost hard to uh, to to really settle into a single moment. And you can enjoy the thing overall, but it might you know w- without having those peaks and valleys like you were mentioning, it's just a flat line which doesn't really stand out. I think No More Heroes is a good example of a game that very deliberately peaks and valleys because it's got like the crazy creative boss fight stuff, and then it's got the grinding up the money stuff in between. Yeah, yeah, and open world games allow you to um, create some of your own peaks and valleys. Mm. Um, you know, in, in a game like uh, Red Dead Redemption, you can blast through the, the mainline campaign, or you can, like, actually capital R roleplay mm. and, and sort of live the life that a guy like Arthur Morgan you think would live, which includes hunting and little side quests and finding weirdos all across the land. I would say Red Dead Redemption 2 was a bit over valley and not so much peak. Uh, <laughs> if you like your peaks, that's probably not the uh, open world game for you. Right. Yeah, I think it's just like, it's, I think it's possible for an open world to be too big. And I think that was RDR2's problem. Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the, uh, I, th- I feel like one of the big things that, that keeps me at arm's distance from a lot of MMOs, um, besides the just massive time commitment, is... Mm. A, a sense of, of overwhelming scale. And when I hear even non-MMOs, like when I hear Ubisoft say, this is the largest open world we've ever made, I'm kind of yeah. like, well, I don't want that. That seems like too large. Yeah, for like the longest time now, I've been saying a lot of open worlds, all you're really doing is adding a commute between the important things to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, oh, it's yeah. interesting. We've overdone the open worlds lately. I mean, it used to be that they'd just be like level by level and it would like cut to all the interesting parts and that sort of worked. And I feel like things are sort of coming back to that in some places. People are sort of like getting sour on the open world these days. Yeah, I think everything moves like a pendulum. And, and you know, I don't know if that means we're going to be getting more uh, uh, massively budgeted games where they are kind of distinct levels and you could say oh level four was my favorite level which is something we don't really get too often in in those sort of that scale of games anymore should i tell you what my favorite standout moment in a game is the thing that first leapt to my mind when i was thinking about the moments in the game that just sort of like smash you out of the cycle make you go that's really creative no i'd I'd love to hear it uh the scarecrow levels in batman arkham asylum Mm mm-hmm because Batman Arkham Asylum is generally uh, quite creative in a lot of ways. But I love the way they do Scarecrow in that game. Because what it happens like three times throughout the course of the game. And what usually happens is that uh, um, it, there'll be a slow build-up. You'll start, things will start to seem off. It's, it's signaled by Batman starting to cough. Because he's just oh. been fed the fear gas and stuff. And then like they put the 
camera on a weird angle or it starts to go on a weirder angle yeah the sound gets weird and it all sort of culminates with this like explosive moment and then you're in this like bizarre dream world where you have to do a little uh, sort of uh, uh, platforming sequence to escape Scarecrow mm -hmm. but the most memorable of all the Scarecrow sequences was the third one the last one in the game do you remember that one was that, was that the one with uh, with your parents that's th I think that's the first well, the first and second one deal with the parents but the third one okay. is the one where it pretends like the console's broke ah yes 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 okay yes, the, that's where they go full Metal Gear Solid on you yeah, yeah it makes you think like the console's broke and then it like because there's like a weird like crash screen and then it cuts to black and then it starts replaying the intro but then mm -hmm. you realize that Batman is where the Joker was and Joker is where Batman was and they yeah. do the whole intro again with Batman as the Joker, and it's to express this notion that Batman himself is insane, which was something mm -hmm. played around with in the original Arkham Asylum comic by Dave McKean. Yeah. It's just really good. And it's and it's just it's well done because it is so as I say, it's like a hitting of the brakes, you know, for what mm -hmm. you've like you're like you're into the vibe of the game, you're going from area to area, you're in with the you know how to do the combat but this is something that just like completely takes you out of that mindset mm -hmm. i think the same sort of thing you can see in eternal darkness when it was doing the sanity effects to make you think the console's broke or that it's deleting your save game suddenly it's not yeah. just it's sort of taking you out of a game but in a good way Mm -hmm. Yeah, it. I feel like that's a. Uh, it's a very uh, uh, thin line to walk mm -hmm. to where if you if you sway in one direction, it could very easily become okay. You're you're sort of being fourth wall breaking for the sake of being fourth wall breaking, just mm -hmm. to kind of get a little bit of titillation out of us. Uh, but in something like Eternal Darkness, or even this the Scarecrow segments that you talked about, or you know, the, I think the first example a lot of folks think of is the the Psycho Mantis boss battle in oh, the original Metal Gear uh, Solid. Yes. That's a retro yeah. one. That is. That's a retro one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it feels like those uh, very much fit in with what is happening at that moment in the game with those specific characters or the uh, specific themes and and situations you find yourself in. Hmm. So you want bad examples? Wasn't there a famous example of? I think it was like an X Men game on the Sega Genesis. I think yeah where you had to reset it yeah towards the end of the yeah. game it says like press the reset button or something and you have to yeah. actually physically press the reset button mm -hmm. on the console and a lot of people didn't get that no I've yeah been i think that's about that yeah i think that's the one you have to like reset the mainframe or arcade or the mastermind or there's something that like in the world of the game it, it's it, it's a reason that you do this but it was such a strange and foreign topic uh or, or idea at the time that it felt like it, it sh like shot a little too high for people. Hmm. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned earlier with uh, uh, you know moments that pump the brakes, it feels like for me that's a lot of the, the moments I think about are the ones where uh, uh, there's been sort of an unrelenting pace, and then you finally get a moment to breathe. Which hmm. uh, you know you could see in the the art for this episode, uh, we had the drafts, which oh, you know yes. the scene from The Last of Us, which has been talked about ad nauseum but but the you know the reason it's a classic is because you, you've you've gone through so much on that journey with joel and ellie to have this moment that builds up into what you think is going to be it's like you lose ellie and then there's a terrifying chase and you're like oh something awful is going to happen around the corner and you get to this moment of of serenity 
where you see these these giraffes, you know, grazing in a in a field in Utah, I think, and and it's kind of the last happy moment of the game, which is almost like the ha- last happy happy moment of the series. Um, it's and, it's and, yeah, I suppose it is like the standout moment of that game because when I saw like the giraffe on the thumbnail that Nick made for us, mm-hmm. even though we hadn't talked about the Last of Us when we were setting up this topic, I instantly thought that's the giraffe from the Last of Us. <laughs> Obviously, that's that's the giraffe bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thinking about it, it is probably one of the only specific moments in the Last of Us that I remember, except maybe the dude shooting himself in the head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, and then the the hard cut to the next season. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember thinking, boy, life's pretty cheap in Naughty Dog games, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just <laughs> killing. It's not just that we're killing like hundreds of people. It's that people like seem weirdly quick to shoot themselves as well. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and I, again, I think maybe the reason that the giraffe thing stood out is because it is such a dark and depressing game and the, uh, there's such an absence of hope in that world. That, maybe, maybe that's something Last of Us 2 needed. Bloody, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of, uh, I feel like Naughty Dog also hit that, that really good tone with the, uh, Left Behind, the, the DLC or, or the, the standalone story with, uh, with a little bit with a younger Ellie mm. and uh, kind of going through the arcade and the mall before, you know, shit hits the fan uh, is another one of those. Like it lulls you into a, not even a false sense of security. Cause you know, something bad's going to happen, but mm. it, it gives you a moment to catch your breath before, you know, chaos uh, floods back into their lives. It's like a memorable moment could be like a sudden jumpy surprise in an otherwise, uh, placid game or a sudden Mm -hmm. dropping of as you say a sudden pumping of the brakes in an otherwise intense game yeah absolutely and and i think uh one of those uh, pump the brakes moments that's also uh you know uh pretty familiar to a lot of folks who've who've been following games is in uh, metal gear solid 3 uh when uh, you get to the ladder and so if you just mention Metal Gear and the ladder, yeah. Metal Gear fans will immediately know what's happening. Right. And Snake starts to climb a ladder, and it starts going on for way longer than any ladder should be. But then you get this uh, swell of, of music of the Bond-like theme song, and then yeah. you get these visual motif. And it's, it's, it's a really kind of poignant and beautiful moment that doesn't quite make sense, but is still it incredibly it's memorable. It's surreal. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. But there's something. It works. Because if, mm-hmm. if I recall, it's not the whole theme. It's just the voice. It's just the vocals, and it really yeah. It's, it's like this echoing, lonely voice in this like vast sequence of climbing a ladder through nothing. And it's yeah. It really. Oh, it's like a light in the darkness, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, and it's like legitimately sort of snake like climbing out of hell into yeah. just i mean what ends up being more help but uh yeah yeah a, 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 of, a reprieve it all sort of feels like it's like a, it feels like a real transition like a mm-hmm. end of the last world and arriving in the next and it, what's what's funny about uh moments like that or even the giraffe thing is you have to imagine that there were meetings where this got pitched i mean maybe not for coming from kojima because maybe he just <laughs> had final say but uh meetings where someone would bring this up and then people would be like is yeah. that gonna work? Yeah. Like, is how, that how that sounds kind of dumb. How would you explain that that would work? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe you just need carte blanche and to be like, "Well, I'm gonna put this in there, and if it doesn't work, I guess that's on me." Because I was hanging out with Valve 
the studio once and uh, mm -hmm. they were talking about how they like creation process they have like this cabal system where they put groups of creatives together to work out the next bit of the game they have to make interesting and the policy they have is that anyone can like make a suggestion but they have to immediately explain why it would work oh okay so you can't just toss out an idea it has to kind of be yeah. fully formed you yeah. have to explain your thinking you have to show okay. you have to show your work and it would be hard yeah, to show your yeah. work on the ladder thing it really would be yeah which is funny because i can imagine in a game like half-life 2 someone pitching the gravity gun and then being able to be like this is why this will be fun yeah and immediately you're like oh i get that or pitching you know ravenholm and being like this is why a a kind of true horror level in the middle of this otherwise sci-fi action game would work mm. and those are two of the things that really stand out to me about half-life 2 so I well guess, you know. spe well speaking of half-life that's a good example of um the standout moment not working so well is uh Zen yeah. in half-life one mm -hmm. i brought that up to you the other night because yeah, that, that yeah. feels like they were trying to end on a high note i suppose you want to like mm -hmm. end on a like a spectacular um well you know what i think of you, do you ever read like the summary of the rest of the story that half-life was gonna have written by i did yeah mark laidlaw yeah yeah the original plan how the yeah. original plan was that it was going it was gonna end on as like finally seeing the combine of just being so this vast incomprehensible thing and i think that's what they wanted zen to be like just finally getting a glimpse of this like underlying cosmic horror aspect mm -hmm. of the game but it just fell flat and i think part of it was just that it went on too long yeah that's the other thing is is i almost feel like there's a similar thing in movies where you want uh, uh everything to, to climax at the end mm. and sometimes it just you throw too much at it and it kind of buckles under its own weight yeah did you play the uh, the finished black mesa uh, I have not with no. the full Zen level because they they like do Zen but they like make it into its whole separate game. It's like three times longer than the original. And oh, it's, interesting. And it's impressive at times, but it still, yeah. it still feels like it's not really concluding Half Life. Yeah, the way it was intended. yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. That's a that's a a funny example because it does like you you it's one of those examples where you can so clearly see what they were going for mm. but maybe just the technology wasn't there like despite the fact that you know half-life was absolutely a revolutionary game yeah i mean that was uh, the game maybe, that starts with like the train ride that has no purpose except to show you all the impressive stuff they've done with the engine and it absolutely worked. It absolutely, absolutely worked yeah. at the time yeah everyone yeah. skips it now but at the time it blew my it blew my tiny mind no, absolutely. And and, and Half-Life 2 begins the same way with, with rolling up to the depot and having the, you know, the little invisible tutorial of picking up the can and, and seeing what you can do with it. Um, but yeah, I, I would be curious, uh, yeah, with Zen, if they could go back, if they would uh, would have done that differently. Hmm. What else? Yeah. You brought up, I, we were talking about No More Heroes. I think mm -hmm. No More Heroes 1 has a couple of moments that really stand out for me. Okay, which ones? Um, probably the gag where they set up a big fight and then another character jumps in and kills the boss before you can fight them <laughs> and it ends on a total anticlimax. Yeah. You know, the so gag the they did... The first time something like that happens is pretty amazing, yeah, right? the first time they did it, it was great, <laughs> but then it became a running gag. Yeah. And it's not so and... interesting. Although having said that, 
No More Heroes 3 does that gag like a bunch of times, but it also has... I keep thinking of there's one boss you fight while playing musical chairs with them. And that's the moment oh. that stands out for me. Because it's yeah, it goes to a completely different art style as well. And yeah, it really feels so like that, creativity at work. So that's another uh, another thing that certain standout moments have uh, in common in my mind is introducing a new uh, system or mechanic or style that is used only in that small slice yeah and it doesn't become a thing that you have for the rest of the game so like uh effect and cause a level from titanfall 2 which oh, titanfall yeah. 2 is one of the most best and and, and most underplayed uh shooter campaigns of the last decade i and agree one level yeah i agree i love titanfall 2 i wish it had more exposure exactly and i also wish they'd make a titanfall 3 and then just have a real nice campaign there remember when titanfall 1 came out and it was only multiplayer and then I was very upset. And then Titanfall 2 yeah. came out and I was like, well, where was this? Where was this yeah. in the first game? Why do you hide this light under a bushel? And then they uh, moved all the resources to Apex Legends. And so that was, <laughs> that was our, uh, that was our brief glimpse of, of Titanfall single player. But uh, you know yeah, effect and cause is a, is a level where you have, uh, you, you gain the ability to uh, swap between two time periods yeah. and it's kind of two parallel lines running and so you you get to this uh research facility that's been long abandoned and is decrepit and there's fires and and it's all bombed out but you have the ability to swap at any moment uh, uh to before that all happens so the research facility is bright and there's people working and people chatting and there's combat where you swap between the two of them puzzles mm -hmm. where you have to swap between the two of them and yeah. it's such a smart and 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 well-made level and at the end of it your your time flopper device just breaks and that's it so you only get it for that brief uh, brief level you know why it's also good is that it's sort of it's a new idea but it still integrates with the standard mechanics and the standard loop like the mm -hmm. combat and the and the puzzles and the uh, traversal traversal yeah yeah of course, what might have helped it stand out was if Dishonored 2 hadn't done the exact same thing at about the same time. I gotta, I gotta wonder how that happened. Were they just copying each other's homework? I think it's uh, you see that in movies a lot with like ants and a bug life coming uh, around the same time, or, yeah, that, or Deep yeah. Impact and Armageddon. Well, so, that happens you know. because of um, it, like industrial espionage, doesn't it? Like one yeah. studio spies <laughs> on what another studio is doing, and then like rushes out a copy so they can get the credit. So you think Arcane and Respawn were doing that? They they each had moles inside the other studio? It might not have been like deliberate. Maybe like <laughs> some staff changed hands or something. That'd be that'd be amazing if the the person responsible for pitching both of those levels was the same person. Yeah, like they've had one idea yeah. in their whole life and they're just banking off it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, that, uh, that, that happened with um, uh, Madagascar, I think. Because like another studio was making like basically the same thing. I forget what it was called. Okay. But. Um, uh, Madagascar like hurried itself out first and was massively successful and then the yeah the studio that had the idea first brought their version out and everyone just said it was a copy of Madagascar and it was very very annoying yeah yeah so I guess it's, it's not about who does it better it's about who does it first well there you go uh, <laughs> the uh another uh, uh semi-recent example of of uh, uh, an interesting mechanic only being used for a small slice is uh Eventide Island in uh Breath of the Wild uh that's and the DLC isn't it uh, no, that's uh, it's in the core game, but it's an island uh, that is kind of off the coast of the game, and you don't have to go there. It, it's, there's nothing critical on that island. All you get are, are, are you know, it's ultimately just a shrine. Hmm. But uh, when you get to the island, uh, some magical force takes away all of your items and equipment. 
Hmm. So you're just a you're just a naked link running around an island, and and if you go there late in the game, you're stripped of everything cool you have, and so you have to uh, solve the three shrines on the island uh, by sort of foraging for items, and and you know you start off with a stick, and you can set the stick on fire and use it to kill a couple enemies, and maybe get some food and and brew a couple elixirs, and you know maybe you could find a a, a sword off one of the bokoblins that you get uh, that you're able to defeat. Uh, but it feels like such a cool, interesting, unexpected thing. Like that was a moment when when uh, a lot of people I knew and myself included were playing that game. Anytime anyone got there, it would be like, "Oh, have you got to Eventide Island?" Like we don't want to say what happens there, but have you got there? And so that felt like a, a standout moment for that uh, huh. sort of when everyone was playing it in the zeitgeist. I never got to that, but I was playing Breath of the Wild yeah. before anyone else was because I had it for review. Oh, nice. I'm probably the first person to find all the photo locations before there are well, any, there walk, probably, any walkthroughs available. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's, uh, that's becoming a cliche, isn't it? The bit in the game where all your stuff gets taken away for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And that used to be, like, the cliche at the beginning of the game is, like, how do we strip a character of all their power that they accumulated in the previous yeah, game? Classic. It's like, oh, let's just Castlevania or, yeah. yeah. The classic Metroid Prime cold open. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it seems like um, it seems like every like sandbox game, like every Ubisoft sandbox game, has that one bit where they take away all your stuff and you're in a cell, <laughs> and you have to work off your wits for a bit, and then more often than not, everything's just being kept in a small bag, six yep. feet away from the cell. But when it's yep. done right, that that can be another like really interesting bit. Silent Hill Two, as someone just mentioned mm -hmm. in the chat, is something I was thinking of. There's a bit where you have to drop all of your inventory. Including all your weapons and be completely defenseless for a bit while yeah, you yeah. the dark part of the the hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, Half Life, of course, famously has a bit in the middle where they take all your weapons away, and you and you never get your weapons back. You just have to like yeah. re rebuild your inventory, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of games just like throw it in there, and it feels like it's in there now just because it's part of the standard, you know, model. Yeah, yeah. Resident Evil Seven had a similar one when you kind of there's a like an escape room section, and yeah. in order to enter the escape room, you have to give up all of your weapons and items and everything, and I then think it's kind of that like birthday party thing. I think it comes about because in the latter stage of a game, it's very easy to get complacent because you've found a whole bunch of stuff and uh, mm. you've settled into things. And you understand how everything works, so it can be good to just sort of like throw the player onto the back foot and see if they've really learned anything in the last however many hours. Yeah, yeah. Strip them of of everything they've been hoarding and see if they can, you know, survive something boiled down to its uh, elemental form. I was playing an indie game called Tormented Souls last week, which started okay. off like really, really hard because it's like deliberately evoking like retro survival horror games. So um, there's limited like save items, okay, and you have to find more before you can save. And there's like limited inventory and the fixed camera combat, which is as annoying as it ever was back then. <laughs> But then, like, towards the end of the game, I just had, like, tons of ammo for the shotgun, tons of ammo for the electricity gun, and I had, like, six save tokens lying around. By the end of it, mm -hmm. it was like the difficulty curve ran in reverse. I... Yeah. And I feel like that's almost a, a way a lot of people play games is by hoarding their powerful items and, and healing things and being like, well, I'll, I'll use this when I need to later on. It's a you... Yeah, it's a classic problem. Yeah. Silent Hill 2, for all its virtues, was a massive had a massive hoarding problem. You end, yeah. that, you end that game with like 50 health rings and 500 shotgun shells that you don't need. Mm -hmm. 
but you still have zero wives. So that's uh, <laughs> so that's... <laughs> ultimately, was it worth it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think another uh, when I think back to these memorable moments, uh, a lot of times they can be tied to specific uh, music drops. Hmm. Uh, we were talking about Red Dead earlier, and in the first yeah. Red Dead, uh, one of the standout moments to me is is the the trek into Mexico. And and that's kind of one that a lot of people always point to, and you have this this incredible swell of music, and and that feeds into, uh, sort of turning a moment into something unforgettable. And I think Death Stranding, for a lot of its faults and a lot of you know elements that people don't like, uh, that does a similar thing with with uh, nearing an end of a journey, and you rise over a hill, and then suddenly you see your destination, and the camera zooms out, and the music swells, and it. It feels a bit like you're being played, but um, in a in a good way. It's it's like you're being told how to feel, but I, it it works on me at least. Sure. Yeah. Um, when you talk about like music drops, I always think like music actual musical numbers tend to be like really big standout moments in games, like in yeah. Psychonauts too, with mm -hmm. the music festival when they play the song yeah. at the end. or um, that bit in Batman Arkham Knight where the the singer who's possessed by the Joker sings a song at you, and it's like integrated with a gameplay section. With the yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, uh, in uh, Control, there's the ashtray maze yes. where it's this sort of crazy alternate pocket dimension that you can't get through. But if you're listening to this, what is it like a Scandinavian like <laughs> metal? Yeah, it's or that, whatever it's it is. That band that keeps showing up in uh, Remedy games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's the band from uh, uh, Alan, Wake. Alan Wake, which yeah. just got the the remaster announced this for this fall. But uh, yeah. So yes. the only way to get through it is by listening to that song, and so that moment in the game is is inseparable from the song itself. Yeah. The ashtray maze. Another great example mm -hmm. of the standout moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the uh, the last thing I was thinking about is. Uh, uh, I guess these are more, uh, uh, your mileage may vary depending on how much you, you have invested in something, but there are certain nostalgic beats mm. that really work on me if it's if it's related to a game that meant a lot to me growing up. So, you know, Mario Odyssey, when you when you get back to the Mario 64 castle, oh, or, yeah, um, yeah or uh, uh, even like Final Fantasy VII Remake was just filled with them for me, like the first time you see Aerith's house or getting to Wall Market. Uh, and then Metal Gear Solid Four, when you uh, revisit Shadow Moses, the the setting of the original Metal Gear Solid. So yeah, yeah. those I mean, are yeah. I didn't have great nostalgia for Mario, but uh, the standout moment in Mario Odyssey was the musical number part. The musical number, season. yeah. Jump up, superstar. There yeah. you go. Hmm. Yeah. Tough. Yeah, I'm trying to think of more. If there's more uh, uh, moments in games I otherwise love that fall flat on their face. Right. Uh, like you mentioned with Half-Life 1, and and I don't... Uh... Well, to bring up No More Heroes 3 again, one of the bits mm -hmm. that felt like it was trying to do like a memorable left turn moment that fell flat on its face was there's a boss fight that where you fight them in like a turn-based RPG style with like retro... Oh, yeah. Like retro windows and like you have to select attack from... Mm -hmm. And I think that fell flat because the characters like talk about it for like 10 minutes. They go like, I think we should fight in the proper way, in, in the classic RPG style. And Travis is like, what the hell? Why can't I move? What the hell is this? This isn't what gamers want, right, kids? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've played games that did that, where it just like became a retro turn-based combat for like just for one fight for a joke. Mm -hmm. I think Super Paper Mario did it. 
And there's uh, a bit. Yeah, in, I think that's right. There's a bit in Saints Row Four where it turns into like uh, like a side-on brawler. Oh, look, I don't remember that. A little bit. Okay. And, and it worked for those because <laughs> they didn't because ex- in Super Mario they didn't explain it. It was just you fight this monster and then for no particular reason we do it retro turn-based style for a joke. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and I guess in No More Heroes, it kind of makes sense in that world. But uh, yeah, that, that's almost an example where you can almost be uh, too cute for your own good. Yeah, I think it might have worked better for me if they'd just done it without explanation. Sure, yeah, just throw it in there and, and, and let you have to kind of figure out what it means. Yeah, interpretive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are, like uh, we mentioned earlier, there's plenty of games that I absolutely adore, but when I think back on, I'm like, I don't really have like a specific, I don't know, we bring up Persona all the time, and Persona 5 is one of my favorite games ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's no like individual, oh my God, you're going to lose your mind when you get to this moment. I expect Um, you're right, because that is like quite a like slowly paced game. It's all sort of like very incrementally things out. I think yeah. If you want to talk about a favorite moment, I guess finally like beating the first dungeon and getting and like changing the mind of the evil volleyball teacher was like a yeah. very satisfying moment. I guess it wasn't yeah. particularly memorable. No, and and for me the stuff that I think about when I think about Persona is once the game opens up to a point where you have free time and you have authorship over what you do with that free time. Mm. And so like to me when I when I think of Persona 5 the first thing that comes into my mind is like uh one of the rainy nights in the game where where the rain music is playing and then you can wander around Tokyo and choose what you want to do if you want to hang out with specific people or you know see a movie or or try fishing or go to the batting cages and that kind of contained freedom is is what I love about um those open moments of of the mm. last couple of Persona games. See I suddenly think of Prey like the the second game that's called Prey. Okay, yeah. Because, <laughs> the second Prey. Because I keep thinking about it, because every now and again it comes up, and I keep thinking, that was a perfectly good game, perfectly well made. Mm-hmm. It's just everyone sort of immediately forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and is it because it didn't have... I, I feel like when I think of Prey, I think of its opening. Right. You know, the new Prey, like the, yeah. the when you realize something is a foul. Um but aside from that, like I enjoyed the rest of Prey, but I don't yeah. think back on individual moments. I mean, when you think back to other to its stablemates, System Shock mm-hmm. Two, the bit where you realize Showdown has been talking to you the whole time, mm-hmm. Bioshock, the bit where you, uh, yeah. uh, the would you kindly sequence, would you kindly, yeah, yeah, Bioshock Infinite. When you, can, I mean. Infinite's like when you realize what's actually happening and in yeah, your relationship yeah. with Elizabeth and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And even like early on when you like when the interracial couple appear on the stage and you realize that you're in the mid- in the midst of a bunch of racist bastards. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it turns out that that uh, utopian floating city in the sky wasn't all good for everyone, was it? Oh, funny that. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> bit, uh, Crazy how that happened. Sort of a heavy-handed metaphor we've got going on there. <laughs> just uh just a bit. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like we're past the halfway mark. Did you? Oh wanna, yes, yes. We should start, probably uh, we should probably start super some, chatting because there are some super chats. Let me tell you, because I have to like stop eleven thirty today because I've, <laughs> I've got a call. Ooh. Uh, right, super chats. Bring them all up. 
Andrew Higginbottom gives five pounds to say the last ten minutes of Inside certainly made mm. me tick. One of the most memorable gaming moments I've had in recent memory. Yep. I agree, because up until then, I thought of Inside as just being another small child in a scary world game, like what Limbo was. Yep. And then after, and then it's hard to think back on that game as small child scary world just because of that whole ending, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, there's only a few games like that. That is one of those games that it culminates in the ending. Like mm. that ending, it for me is the memorable portion, which is I think similar to Braid, another mm. sort of indie puzzle platformer that culminates in a, a pretty startling reveal. Yeah, that's the bit you remember after mm-hmm. all the the slog. Yeah, you remember when uh, weren't weren't they going to sell like a, a fleshy version of the of the 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 thing from the end of Inside that you could like buy and you could have a weird little like flesh ball on your table? <laughs> I I don't remember that. <laughs> it's probably good that you don't remember it. Yeah, Mac Attack Games give us four ninety nine US dollars to say, hey Yahtzee, what game was the hardest to make a ZP for? Been a fan since two thousand seven. Glad to see you're still around. Thank you, Mac Attack Games. Well, the hardest games to ZP are always the ones in between, I suppose. I like making reviews of games I really like, and I like making reviews of games I really hate because there's a lot mm-hmm. to talk about. It's you know the in betweeny sequels. You know, yeah. I've, I was I started on Lost Judgment this week, and I was like, I I really hope another game comes up because I really don't know what to say <laughs> about this, except that it's it's that yak as a model again. Yep. Yeah, and it's one of those if you if you like it, you're gonna like it. If you don't like it, you can pass on it. But it's yeah, uh, which I hate saying because yeah. it's the most useless sentence in reviewing. Yeah. I mean, it's also true sometimes if with, yeah. with games that are that iterative. It's right up yeah. there with the fans will like it. Oh, fans of the genre. Yeah. Pre- President Walker gives five years old to say, sending over this moment, MGS3 climbing up the ladder and having Snake Eater blaring. Yes, we brought that 100%. up. 100%. Yeah, Kojima's, uh, Kojima's pretty good at, at making games with uh, memorable moments, I will say. What about MGS5? Uh, ooh, that might be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might a, be... A uh, bit of a taller order with that one. Yeah, yeah, which again might be the uh, a symptom of the open worldness of the game. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe that's, that's by... the problem. Open world just sort of creates too much trough. Yeah, the peaks uh, with... to, to really uh, stand out. Yeah, with MGS Five, the the reveal at the end of of who you are, I guess, would be. Uh, mm. That's the moment I think about when I think back on it, as well as like hanging out with my dog and and listening to David Bowie and yeah, you know, cruising around the Middle East. And what happens to Huey at the end? Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, you used to like him just being like Otacon 2.0, which turns out, oh, no, he's actually a complete bastard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good game. The Beardo gives five US dollars to say, bit off topic, just watched Ross Scott's update stream yesterday and he mentioned being up for guesting on folks' content. Should email him someday. Well, I do like Ross Scott's work. Send him, a, send him an actual letter, though. Not like emails are a dime a dozen, but like a true package in the mail. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he, he himself said that when he was talking about sending letters to publishers to get them to stop killing games. Were there? <laughs> yeah, send, <laughs> there you go. Just send them a letter in an envelope with like beautiful um, handwriting on the front. Yeah, envelope art like they used to have in all the old game magazines that they'd feature. So, and, yeah, a, wax, and a wax seal. <laughs> Luke Turner gives five US dollars to say, Halo 1, when you're trying to escape after meeting the flood, you get to the elevator to escape, uh, it goes the wrong way, and it becomes a horror game. I haven't played Halo 1 still, after all these years. 
have you have you played the other other Halos? I've played all of them from Halo Three onwards, and I never really got what was mm. going on, possibly because of that. Well, <laughs> partially, yeah. Uh, don't tell that to Nick, or else Nick will uh, force you to to play them. That's what he did with Amy. But oh, Amy's yeah. been enjoying them, so that's good. Yeah, that's that's the joke, isn't it? <laughs> Speak Halo three times into the stream, and Nick magically <laughs> appears like the Candyman. <laughs> Uh, Jordan Berry gives 20 Australian dollars to say, spoilers, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, when you fail to save and then have to fight and kill your father really stood out to me, and the humanity of the characters in and around that moment stuck with me. I love Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Mm -hmm. So do I. I think my favourite character moment in the course of that plot is when the prince is just on the verge of declaring his love for his love interest character when he has a, like, premonition showing her betraying him. Yeah. That's probably my favourite little twist in that. Because mm -hmm. I think it's one like genuinely one of the best love stories in gaming. Yeah, especially time. for that time. I mean, what, 15 years ago? or More than 15 years ago? Almost 20 years ago know, when that came yeah, out? Because yeah. both characters are interesting. Both characters have mm -hmm. agency. They, have both, they both have arcs. And they mm -hmm. have actual chemistry. It seems like that should be... not Writing a game isn't easy. Writing, writing any fiction isn't easy. But it seems like you should be able to hit that. Like if, if your game is built, if, if your story is built around some sort of a, a, a will they, won't they, or some sort of a, a tragic love story, just well, having, having do, a, do those things. I think a good starting point is just give them all a very reasonable, give them both a very reasonable reason to hate each other. Yeah, that's a there good, you go. That's a good start yeah. for a love interest with chemistry. No, absolutely. That's, yeah, look at that. Indiana Jones. Perfect. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Rufus Omega gives five British pounds to say, I think the bit in Final Fantasy VII where you leave Midgar and are presented with an entire planet to explore is one of the best transition moments in gaming. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that's also a, uh, it was a technological marvel at the time when, when I was, I remember playing it for the first time and I sort of assumed that the game would mostly take place in this city. And then all of a sudden you leave the city and you're like, oh, I, this is an entire planet I'm going to be exploring. And uh, it's interesting that the, the most recent Final Fantasy VII remake uh, ends right at that moment. So I'll be curious to see what they do with that going forward. Mm. I think um, I said in a, in a podcast with Jack a while back, I like a game that's paced like unfolding a piece of paper. So it starts off small, you unfold it and it gets twice as big, you unfold it again and it gets twice as big again, and so on. But eventually it just turns into a single piece of paper. It's not like you're doing this for all time, yeah. like some of these endless but can, games. Yeah. But you can see where you came from. I like that. I like that a lot. You should you should uh, look into writing. That was good. Do you think? People, yeah. people often say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but uh, yeah, that well, was good. Well, it's certainly something to consider, but, you know, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't give up the day job. No, no, Exactly. Deeb's Scrub gives uh, five US dollars to say Resident Evil 4's opening in the village still stands out to me today. Such an intense mm -hmm. way to start your game. That is certain, yeah. that certainly helped bring across that Resident Evil 4 was a game changer. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it it, it felt like uh, kicking off a game with a mission statement. Mm. That yes. being like this is what Resident Evil is now. You know, you played the the. PlayStation trilogy and Code Veronica, but this is what Resident Evil is now, and it shows yes. you different mechanics and how the, the the levels are a little more open, and and how things can come at you from any any angle, and then the spookiness of the sack man with his with his chainsaw, and just really good stuff. Yeah, bit of a, a bit of a trial by fire, bit of a chuck into the deep end. 
Yeah, yeah, and like uh, uh, Resident Evil Eight or Resident Evil Village uh, very clearly did a very similar thing uh, with its opening or its gameplay opening, I guess. Um, but, yeah, uh, but once I've... you've seen it before, it was kind of less impactful. Yeah, and Resident Evil Five did it as well, but no one remembers yeah. anything about Resident Evil Five. No, no, no one does. Probably for the best. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit racist. <laughs> Just a touch. All the games gives four ninety nine US dollars to say two moments. One Undertale's true pacifist bosses with music rainbows and truly epic feeling and plot stakes, and two the modern warfare one post nuke level. Both I think we've found the center of a Venn diagram I did not think I'd find. <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah. incredible. I think those are both specific <laughs> moments that I would definitely nominate. The like yeah. Modern Warfare One I I I was really surprised by when it did the, the nuke. And the post nuke part, because at the yeah. time, at the time that was new. At the mm -hmm, time, the, sh the shocking moment in the course of the modern warfare game where they killed the protagonist, that was new. Kind of mm -hmm. killed that few, yeah. after a few games down the line, but yeah, the first yeah. time they did it, it it was it really stood out. Yeah, and then uh, how, how did you feel about then moving on to modern warfare two and and their standout moment, obviously attempting to be no Russian. Like how did how did you feel about that? Well, you know, I think uh, if you're gonna do it again, at least escalate it, and I think they did. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a level everyone still knows the name of. Yeah, so yeah, they they did something right there. Uh, and then yeah, the Undertale one is interesting because I almost slot that into an entire genre of oh, you have to do X, Y, and Z and play the game this amount to finally get what the game is. And you hear that a lot. Uh, I say that all the time with like Nier and, and Nier Automata. Yeah, of, of, yeah, of you can't just put 10 hours into it. You need to get to the 45-hour mark and then then you'll know. And most people who do get to the 45-hour mark are like, oh, yes, you are right. But mm. I understand not wanting to put that much time in. And a similar thing to like uh, someone in the chat earlier mentioned Doki Doki Literature Club. And that's nice. another, you know, you don't want to tell people what it is, but just make sure they get to that point to understand what the what the work is. Yeah, that's not so much a single standout moment as much as a game built entirely around that one moment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and yeah, so it's a, it, that's almost like a tough one to talk about because it's one yeah. of those things you don't want to spoil for people, but you want them to get to yeah. on their own. Even yeah. the fact that we mentioned that it has a twist is sort of spoiling it. That's true. So just forget about what we just said. Yes. So do that. Yes. Yeah. Just like easy peasy. Crowbar that one out of your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Khalil Henoud gives three Canadian dollars. Uh, no comment, just a little smiley of someone giving us a thumbs up. Thank you very much. Yeah, is that like Come a? It's like a, a like an aqua pear. I thought it was some sort of a bird. I thought it was a boobah. Oh well, it's got a nice. It's got it. It's got some. It's got some junk in its trunk. Who remembers? Wanna, who remembers boobahs? Was that the? Was that a boobah? Was, was that a Teletubbies? It was Teletubby adjacent. Okay. Boobahs. <laughs> Part actually, of the Teletubby cinematic universe. Actually, you know what this thing reminds me of? It reminds me of Dumb Ways to Die. Did you ever see that? No. Well, why don't you look that up when we're done? Okay. Bit of fun. Oh, I thought I was supposed to do that right now. Bit okay. of fun yes. for you. Okay. A little, uh, viral video. <laughs> Michael Kozlowski gives 100 what I think is Norwegian kroner to say, from Final Fantasy IX, when Zidane is at his lowest, 
Another from Genshin Impact when exploring Layu Mountains and getting the gorgeous view of the world below. The music during those two got me in the feels. I don't think I'm familiar with either of those moments. Those feel like uh, really deep into a game I'm not really keen on playing for very long. Yeah, I, I definitely remember the Final Fantasy IX one, and that's great. Final Fantasy IX is also one of the... I feel like folks don't talk about that enough in terms of uh, really good Final Fantasy games. I, um, I agree. I think it was... I find it more appealing than 7 or 8. Yeah, eight eight has a very strange journey because there are some uh, real ardent defenders of eight. But I think yeah. that the gameplay of eight is just truly bad. Like they took a lot of big swings, and I appreciate that, but those swings did not connect on what they were trying to do. I think nine just has a problem with throwing too many random encounters at you when you're going through dungeons. Yeah, and it felt very much uh, like a step back in terms of we're going to go back to sort of classic fantasy like what what final fantasy was built on as opposed to clearly once 10 and then you know 13 hit they were going into this sort of sci-fi space operas yeah these, that um, sort of steampunk uh fashion yeah fashion parade attractive yeah young which anime was, people thing yeah all the it's always those anime people ruining everything there you go I tell you yeah um the genshin impact thing is interesting i haven't i've played a decent amount of Genshin Impact. I'm not sure exactly what this moment is, but um, there are moments in games of holy shit, look at that view. Um, mm. And, and you know, maybe you hit it at the right time. Maybe the, the weather in the game is at the right point or the, the lighting in the game or you turn the camera the right way. But uh, there's also games that have those kind of built in, like Eco's always one I think of where it has those benches that you can save at. Mm. And you sit at a bench and then you can kind of just turn the camera around and you're like oh man they have created something incredibly gorgeous and it allows you to look back on every like the entire route you've traveled and show so it does a great job of showing you how far you've come and how much further left uh, you have to go oh boy here's a name that will be fun to pronounce abdul rahman alawadi gives 50 Perfect. of something to say in Bloodborne, when you enter the third act, when you enter the third act is unforgettable. I will never forget the time I saw a massive Lovecraftian monster hanging on a building I've been walking by for twenty-five hours. Yeah, that's uh, that is an excellent moment. Yeah, I'm the first time I saw that fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all the uh, from software is another one great at those moments, and and it could be something as uh, uh, awe-inspiring as like getting to Kanehurst Castle in Bloodborne or mm. Honor Londo in the original Dark Souls, or like for me still the first you know i, I also i was playing dark souls uh, before it released you know for work and and uh the moment you uh i think you you get to the cathedral and then you uh take the elevator back down to the firelink shrine yeah. and all of a sudden it just clicked for me that this is like a you know a metroidvania like the way this is built is going to be like super metroid and like uh symphony of the night and the way that it's all interconnected was was pretty special Incidentally, that's a good way to do like a like an easy horror moment is to establish that the protagonist was in danger all along from something mm. they never knew about until now. Yes, yes. Because there are certain moments in Bloodborne where like something invisible will kill you and you're yeah. like, well, that was weird. And then when you actually see what it was, you're like, oh, this is terrifying. What? I think of a Japanese horror film called Dark Water where there's a bit yeah. where the protagonist is hugging her daughter as like uh, something horrible is about to come around the corner and the thing that comes around the corner is her daughter and you're oh, like oh that's really good oh shit what am i hugging oh no yes. that's why you don't hug people just don't yeah. hug people you never get into that situation oh crazy gives me chills oh that's i don't that literally gave me chills you're talking about it yeah 
Uh, Go on King gives five US dollars to say, try Chronos Before the Ashes, a prequel to Remnant from the Ashes. It sets up some really interesting gameplay ideas and then fails to execute. Fun! Wait a minute, that sounds... You, you, you recommended something and then you said it fails to execute, which isn't great. That's strange. Also, I don't know if... Did you see the comment uh, directly below uh, Gowan King's? It's just Nick saying Halo in all caps. So you did summon him. <laughs> yes, that would be when we brought it up, I suppose. <laughs> He's just, it's like Beetlejuice. Yeah. Mitch gives five euros to say, how would you make the twist in 12 minutes work while maintaining the story beat? <coughs> well, we went over this in the 12 minutes stream we did last time so why don't you refer to that i'm kind yeah. of i'm kind of done talking about it <laughs> it's like one of those games well uh, you know in all fairness it, at least it's not uh, uh, a middle of the road game where you're kind of just like shrug i don't have anything to say about it at least there is a lot to say about 12 minutes um mm. yeah. but i feel like you i feel like you and jack did a pretty good job of uh after he got over his initial terror <laughs> um of uh of kind of unpacking it and saying how can we keep the structure of this game and its story but fix the thing that didn't work for a lot of folks mm. uh, da, 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 da. lord log is five euros to say i always felt mass effect had good moments and most of them are just well directed and will probably work in any other medium so i don't know if that counts i'm thinking of punching the journalist in the face i don't know about you <laughs> i i think that every day of my life so I think Mass Effect, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Uncanny Valley in those Bioware games. Yeah, yeah, you kind of have to buy into the yeah, to I, the fantasy, I, right? I find that difficult, especially yeah. going back to like Mass Effect 1 and the graphics on that. Everything's, yeah, everyone's so tough. scary. Yeah, they do. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of just dead eyes staring off into the distance. Yeah. Uh, Mass Effect 2, I think, obviously the standout moment for a lot of folks is the, the suicide mission. Oh, yeah. And I think that is a thing that would not work as well in a non-interactive medium because it puts you into the situation with actual stakes with characters that you've uh, developed a relationship with mm. and your decisions uh, hinge on the outcome. So it's not like when you watch, I don't know, a, a, the, the Avengers Endgame and, and Tony Stark dies at the end. Like you didn't have any control over that. But if you did have control over him dying, that would mean a lot more, mm. I believe. Yeah. Spoilers for Avengers Endgame as yeah, well. Sorry, I'm sorry. About that. Yeah. Have, <laughs> they should have had an audience poll, like when they were deciding whether to kill off Jason Todd. That's perfect. Or have it all be like uh, they used to do, like the theater uh, modes of uh, Telltale games, where like everyone entered their decision and it was a true democracy on oh, what yeah. you did. Uh, that's just bad storytelling, I think. <laughs> well, quite. That's probably don't do well, that. Well, it just you? means having to write two stories, isn't it? I guess that's true. At, yeah, at least. <laughs> The Beardo gives five US dollars to say, as far as memorable moments, System Shock 2 and the meeting with Dr. Polito, mentioned earlier, runner-up mm -hmm. Final Fantasy VI, tracking down Kefka mid-game and he destroys the world. Yeah. Yeah, not, that's, many, uh, not many games that do yeah. that. That's another uh, impressive example of a game completely subverting what you think it's going to be about, yeah. which I think that's, a, that's a, how a powerful moment can come is when you are lulled into assuming you know exactly what's going on hmm. and then suddenly a rug is pulled out from under you and and you know you get that with twists in like knights of the old republic and and um you know a bunch of the games we've we've already mentioned and and i think those can be pretty powerful you know what i suddenly thought of was the castlevania symphony of the night when you discover the inverted castle a hundred percent that's a uh, oh there's an entire other game we still have to yeah. play 
that's a, a perfect analog, I think, to, or a perfect uh, companion to the Kefka moment is yeah. when you're like, oh, I thought I've seen everything, but nope, I was wrong. Yeah, good uh, stuff. SVS Guru2000 gives five euros to say, in Free Space 2, after barely destroying the first Saturnus, you encounter another one in the nebula and find out there's a whole armada of them. That's never, uh never played that myself. I haven't either, but that that just like a that, that's a really cool fiction trope in my in my mind of uh mm. when when it feels like uh uh getting over this single obstacle is like a herculean task and then suddenly you realize that that was just one of many mm. and 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 you see, you know, and in games also do a good job of uh even going back to Dark Souls of a, a boss that that crushed you so many times the first time through by the end of the game is like a random junk mob enemy yeah and so it kind of it, it gives you a good sense of of your own power curve certainly mm -hmm. uh, names not fits gives a uh, hundred of something sek i think that's swedish it says yeah. i will always remember lone wolf from reach a small musical mm -hmm. note plays and the rest of the mission is without music and all you have is your weapons and an endless horde of covenant yeah, I seem to yeah. be being impressed by the ending of Halo Reach because you know it's, yep. it's good. It was good interactive storytelling because it was just mm -hmm. see how long you can last. And, yeah, uh, and it's uh, but you will inevitably die. And yeah, like, cracks, which... cracks appear on your visor as you get damaged. And mm -hmm. It's just good stuff. Yeah, a similar. I would say that's a, a similar feeling of uh, the the uh, near the end of the original Red Dead Redemption, where you have John Marston's last stand, and mm. you kick open the door, and you yes. assume you're going to be able to gun down a lot of folks, but you can't. Yeah, you have a you make a token effort. Yeah, and die guns blazing. Yeah, then you become everyone's favorite character. Yeah. his child. Well, yeah, what a memorable dude. <laughs> That guy, you know, gives $5 to say, my favorite player-made moment in Bioshock 1 was when I dropped on a desk the statue splicers. Splicers. Um, when I dropped on a desk the splicers. There's splicers who you think, like there's a, I think when you get into a, a Fort Frolic, there's yeah. a bunch of uh, mannequins that are actually uh, splicers. And so I don't know if that's, that's something you're talking about there, but I think by the original Bioshock actually has quite a few of them for me. Hmm. I'll, um, I will, this is the last one. I will say no more super chats after this. Now we won't read them out because we need to wrap this up. Clayton McManus gives five Canadian dollars to say Glena Heights farming sim when I ended up killing an abusive drug dealing husband when trying to protect his wife. It set the mood for the game. Uh, excuse that's, me? <laughs> that's interesting for a farming sim. Although it makes me think of Stardew yeah. Valley because there's actually some pretty dark character stories in that game. Oh, I haven't played. Uh, I haven't played that much of Stardew Valley. Does, does it get kind of well, little, little, well, little some, real? Some of the characters are dealing with like abuse from their parents. Someone's like trying to escape an abusive ex-boyfriend. Oh, and that's kind of incredible. There's one character who's like an alcoholic and suicidal and depressed. Mm -hmm. It's all shit. Harvest Moon would never do. No, it would be very funny if that was in a Harvest Moon game because that would be yeah. so. Uh, so at odds with everything else. Meanwhile, there's another character whose character story is that they're building a robot. Uh, in oh, Stardew it. Valley? Yeah. Well, that's. Just, I feel like if you build a robot, then everyone loses their farming jobs because it just turns into machines. Well, then well, the robot immediately fucks off. Oh, well, good. <laughs> good, good for that robot. <laughs> that was the character I married last time I played Stardew Valley. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> 
build someone have someone around the house who can build a robot that's what i say yeah that's 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 what my father used to say growing up well uh I think that'll about wrap things up. This has been slightly something else. We were talking about the standout moments in games that make you remember them beyond uh, anything else. Mm-hmm. I was Yahtzee Crowshaw. I was joined by Marty Sleever. Thank you so much for having me. I will see y'all tomorrow for the post-CP stream, which will be of Psychonauts 2, because that's the review that's coming out. It's my Psychonauts 2 review. Look forward to that. Uh, well, we see you next, Marty. Uh, I'll have uh, uh, I'll have a three MR of uh, the Artful Escape up uh, tomorrow, Ooh, and then I've been um, I'll have that. a yeah. So you'll have I think your full review you said is planned for next week. Yeah, I'm gonna well, it's, I'm gonna double bill it, but I will be mm. talking about that next week. It's an interesting game, but we yeah. won't spoil anything. No, absolutely not. And then. Uh, Tune in uh, Thursday, I believe, at uh, 2.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, a few of us are going to be live streaming the big Sony conference that is going to air. It's kind of Sony's big showcase for the year. So let's see what those PlayStations are up to. Ooh, doggy, I hope Spyro the Dragon's there. Ooh, doggy, I hope they release Infamous 2 on Steam. Uh, there, there's, there are infamous rumblings. So Ooh. Well, I hope it's yeah. that. Yeah, that would be nice. All right. Uh, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the super chats. It helps mm-hmm. us keep making the content you love and that we love to make. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye everybody. Here's Toffee waving goodbye. Bye 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 bye